0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Thank you. Good evening. Um, Tonight is the second of a series I've been doing on the Eightfold Path. Um, The Eightfold Path is the foundation of Buddhist teachings Uh, Last week I gave an overview of the path and I focused mostly on the first step of the path, which is right view. And today I'm going to focus mostly on right intention, which means I'll do the others kind of a little more cramped together. But uh, that's kind of how it worked out. Um, As I said last week, um, people in the West uh, mostly come to practice through sitting meditation and it's like a little part of their lives, they meditate, and then that's it. And the really Buddhist path uh, is uh, meant to encompass our whole lives, every aspect of our lives. It's about developing a lasting happiness in our lives: freedom, peacefulness. Uh, the path is a gradual training of the mind in three areas: the area of wisdom, the area of virtue. And then the training, direct training of the mind in concentration. And so the steps, there's the first two steps are wisdom, which is our attitude towards life, or view, or an intentions. The second section is virtue, which are is how we live our lives, our actions. Uh, what we do, what we say, our livelihood. And then the last part, the last section, concentration. It involves mindfulness and effort and um, concentration, but we teach them in you know this kind of consecutive manner. But all the aspects of the path—it's just a way of of looking at them. But they're really intertwined qualities. Um, you can't meditate with that effort. You can't uh, concentrate with that effort. You can't um, you can't uh, improve your speech without mindfulness. Uh, You can't know what your attitude is without mindfulness. So all the different aspects of the path um, are intertwined, but it helps us focus on them a little bit at a time uh, because it lets us see what we don't normally see. Um, So we started with the right view, which right view, uh, just very briefly, is... uh, it's really focused on the Four Noble Truths and the fact that there is suffering or unsatisfactoriness in life. And that that suffering and unsatisfactoriness is caused by clinging, by craving. And that we can let go of that craving. And the, and the letting go of that craving, in that letting go we can be happy and peaceful. Um, intention is the bridge between our view and our actions. So if we see that our lives are are really, the purpose of our lives are to free ourselves, then uh, we want to act a certain way. And all our intentions are in support of that point of view that uh, we want to be happy and we want to be peaceful. So our intentions might not be to try to accumulate as much wealth as possible because that's not going to make us happy. Um, So um, let me use an example. Um, Let's say you um, make plans with a friend. You go out of your way. You're going to meet them for lunch and, uh, you know, you're kind of tight on time, but you've made these plans anyways, and you get there, and you're sitting there for about five minutes, and they're not there, so you call them, and go, oh, wow, well, I forgot, sorry, bye, uh, you know, let's reschedule, you know, and they don't seem too upset about it, they just, you know, another time, and um, so how might you feel, anybody, how, how much you feel, hurt, hurt? angry, angry, annoyed? So uh, the tendency when we feel hurt or angry or annoyed is often to hurt back, you know, and we might kind of tone it down and, and say, well, you know, we, we kind of know we don't want to just be really mean to them, right? So we might in a little manipulative way just, uh, you know, hint that they screwed up, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, we might want them to feel bad. You know, wanting to feel bad we, its really we want to hurt them. We want to hurt them back. We've been hurt. We want to hurt them back. Um, that's the real common way that we respond to being hurt. That's what a little kid does. You know, they—they they, somebody hits them, they hit them back. That's our, our instinctive way of being. Um we might start spinning in our minds, you know, all these things like, well, God, they didn't even notice, they didn't show up, they didn't care, they don't think much of me, they don't love me. Well, maybe I'm not a lovable person. Or maybe you might turn it around and say, they're not a lovable person. You know, so the mind just goes on and on in all these responses. But if we're really mindful, what well, we might want to really pay attention to, and what's really important here in this situation is to recognize that we're suffering. That there is suffering in this situation. And so, um, we, so we're looking at the fact that we're suffering, recognizing that, and we're reckon, and if we're really careful, we may notice that desire to hurt back, that intention to, you know, want to make them feel bad. And so, what view might be skillful? What is it that we want to remember in that situation? Uh, to help us really stay connected with our path, with our view. Um, how do we want to respond to them? What I might say is, um, I'm not willing to give up my happiness here. That's something that I might say to myself. There might be different ways that you might bring yourself you know, remind yourself that I really don't want to be hurting someone else. And hurting them isn't making me feel any better. What's needed here in myself is to look at the fact, to actually look at my own suffering. I am hurting here. Even, I mean, it might seem like just a hurt feeling, it's no big deal. But it's something that, that really affects the relationships with other people. You know, somebody hurts us, you know... Somehow we start not liking them as much. So, um, right intention encompasses three primary intentions. Renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness. The, there's two sides of of um, right intention there's the side of right intention where we're letting go and the side of right intention where we're cultivating certain factors renunciation is a side of letting go um, um, each kind of right intention um counters the corresponding kind of wrong intention. For instance, the intention of renunciation counteracts the intention of greed, of wanting to hoard, of wanting to grasp. Um, Goodwill counters ill will. Um, Harmlessness counters harmfulness or cruelty. Now that may seem kind of simplistic, you know, like, well, yeah, duh, you know, it just it's it's the opposite, you know, But it's actually a very powerful practice because you can't have two thoughts at the same moment. So any moment that you actually bring in a thought of renunciation, a thought of letting go, of harmlessness, of goodwill, is a moment. Where greed can't can't survive in that moment. Greed can't be there in that very moment. It might come up the next moment. But that moment, it's not there. That moment. And that's what practice is. Just like, um, you know, we get better at playing the piano. Every time we bring our mind back to letting go, back to goodwill, back to harmlessness, that trains the mind. And it pushes, um, it displaces the, the unskillful, the unhelpful intentions. Thought or intention is the forerunner of all action. It directs the body and speech. But so your intention comes from, from your attitude, from your view. When actions arise from unwholesome intentions, we can examine what view we're holding. If our actions come from the pers- pursuit of greed and hatred, it can cause tremendous suffering in the world, in individuals, in groups, in nations, as people seek to gain wealth, position, and power without regard to consequences. The cause for the endless competition conflict oppression and injustice in the world does not lie outside the mind these are all manifestations of our intentions from thoughts that are driven by greed hatred and delusion understanding the four noble truths in relation to our own lives gives rise to the intention of renunciation When we see the pain that we cause ourselves by holding on, we just want to let go. When we see the Four Noble Truths in relation to everybody else, um, we see that everybody else is suffering, everybody else is um, is hurting. Then we want to um, cultivate compassion for them. It just comes naturally. When we see people's pain or compassion naturally arises. Stateful path, the purpose of the three right intentions, is the uprooting of the three primary causes of unhappiness, greed, hatred, and delusion. There are many things we can be deluded about, relationships, politics, uh, pretty much any subject. Uh, but the delusion that is relevant here is the cause of suffering, the recurrent habit, of thinking that there's ever a valid reason to cling. Um, contemplating the Four Noble Truths, just really thinking about them, you know, taking some time, just being really with that reality. Um, the com- it, it brings this into focus. The completion of the path is the complete eradication of delusion. To paraphrase Joseph Goldstein, he says, he um, The entire path can be summed up as nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as me or mine. That's it. That's the whole picture. So the intention of renunciation. How many of you have a negative association with the word? Yeah. Um, You know, in this culture, we tend to think of the word renunciation as um, something that... We're losing something, we're, we're repressing something, we're getting rid of something we want. It's kind of like a, a kind of this kind of feeling of something negative. In Pali, the actual word for renunciation, it's called nakama, which actually means to go forth like a monk goes forth into the, the practice of awakening, into the practice of, of liberation. So it's actually something you look forward to. It's something positive. Um, um, Ajahn Shah said um, if you let go of a little you if you let go a little you have a little peace if you let go a lot you have a lot of peace if you let go completely then you have complete peace when we let go we usually feel lighter and happier in some way um I don't know if any of you heard of Peace Pilgrim. She was, uh, back in the 50s, she basically was a, uh, a modern-day renunciant in the U.S. who walked around the country um, and just promoting peace. And she didn't have any money, any possessions, and she just walked. And whoever she met, whoever fed her or housed her, nobody housed her. She'd sleep under a bridge. Um, she did it for quite a number of years. And she tells the story of this woman who was um, very, very unhappy. She lived in a big house, and she spent most of the time just kind of having to take care of it and clean it and and felt felt really burdened by it. And um, so Peace Pilgrim asked her, you know, is there anything you enjoy doing? And she said, well, I like to sing and I like to swim. And um, so she just kind of talked to her and got her to sell the house. And she joined a choir and started swimming. And she actually, this burden of this house that she had felt she had to hold on to was just removed. She was so light and she became so much happier. It's not that, it's really not that we have to change our circumstances though. But it's really that burden that we hold when we think things have to be a certain way. Sister Serpana says, Renunciation is letting go. It's acceptance. It's not a matter of doing something or having to create something or getting rid of something. Rather, it's the moving towards non-contention. A sense of rest and relaxation. Not having to constantly try to manipulate and maneuver and control and evade Renunciation is the most skillful form of relaxation. It's constantly accepting what is. So how do we renounce? How do we let go? Repressing our cravings doesn't work. I don't know if any of you have gone to an AA meeting. So people, you know, they stop drinking. And, you know, know, so they start increase their smoking. Uh, there's, you know, tons of sugar there. So, uh, you know, there's a lot more that has to happen. Um, but just repressing the activity of the addiction, of the desire, of um, uh, it, it, all it does is it makes it pop out somewhere else. Um Renunciation is not a matter of forcing ourselves to give up the things we cherish. It's changing our perspective to them so that they no longer compel us. When we deeply understand the nature of attachment, when we investigate it really closely, attachment begins to fall away by itself. Without the need for struggle. To understand desire in such a way that we can loosen its hold, we need to see that desire is invariably bound with dukkha, with suffering. We remain in bondage to our desire to our clinging because we mistake it as our means to happiness. When we look at desire closely, and when I mean desire, I mean desire where we feel driven, that kind of desire. We find that it's constantly shadowed by dukkha, by suffering. The moment that desire springs up, it creates in us a sense of lack, the pain of want. To end the pain, we struggle to fulfill the desire. And if it's not fulfilled, then we're unhappy. We can be frustrated, disappointed, Uh, People despair when they don't get what they want. And then, if we succeed, then we worry we might lose it. All objects of desire are impermanent. We are going to lose them. Whether they're people we love, whether it's our wealth, or power, or position, status, everything, every object of desire, we're going to lose. It's inevitable. The pain that accompanies or separation from the things we love is proportional to how attached we are. Strong attachment brings a lot of suffering. A little attachment, a little bit of suffering. No attachment, no suffering. So what do we do when, um, you know, we have unskillful thoughts and intentions? You know, we really want something really bad. We just, you know, we're making ourselves miserable because we really want, say, um, you know, a promotion. and We really are just really tied up in knots. And so, you know, you decide, you know, okay, I'm going to pay attention to this. I'm going to practice with it. And you sit there and you practice with it. And you've meditated. And you say, okay, let go, let go. And it just doesn't go away. You know, it's just still there, still very painful, still very... um, And so what do we do then? You know? Acceptance of our current state is renunciation. So the fact that we're not letting go, we can accept the fact that we're not letting go. Can we be non-contentious with the fact that we're clinging. And then just relax just a little bit with the fact that we're hurting, that we're tight. Um, I'm going to read a a Rumi poem that I really love that's um, about this. Very little grows on jagged rock. Be ground be crumbled so wildflowers will come up where you are you've been stony for too many years try something different surrender so um, the second of the three intentions so, the first one was renunciation. The second one is the cultivation of goodwill. Um, there's a story, um, the, the intention of goodwill opposes the intention of ill will, thoughts governed by anger or aversion. There's a story, uh, many you might have heard of, of a Native American grandfather talking to his young grandson. He tells the boy that he has two wolves inside of him struggling with each other. The first of the wolves um, is a wolf of peace, of love, and kindness. The other wolf is full of fear, greed, and hatred. Um, so the grandson says, which wolf will win, grandfather? Whichever one I feed is the reply. There are two basic unskillful ways to handle anger or aversion. One of them is to act out and the other one is to repress. Acting out causes immediate suffering to ourselves and can cause suffering to the people around us uh, and with a lot of repercussions. Repression turns our anger inward. It causes us to hurt ourselves, to bury it deeply. It can cause illness. It can pop out elsewhere later. Some people repress their anger at work and then they come home and yell at their kids. So neither of those uh, methods of dealing with anger um, are skillful. Uh, Mindfulness of emotions, the practice of mindfulness of emotions is the practice where we allow ourselves to actually experience these negative emotions and not push them away not act out on them, but to actually allow ourselves to feel the anger. How does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? And to allow the feelings to be there and then to pass, because they eventually will pass. But another skillful method that's directly used, that the Buddha taught, to counteract the habitual ill will, if we have a lot regu- the regular... Um, anger and irritation in our lives that's uh, um, thematically there a lot of the time. Uh, The method that was taught is uh, the cultivation of metta or loving kindness. This can be uh, practiced just like a regular um, sitting mindfulness practice, but with a different focus. Metta or loving kindness is a love free of craving. Free of attachment, what's often called unconditional love. How many of you have done the metta practice? Okay, so some, maybe half. Metta practice is done with wishes of goodwill towards yourself, and then eventually it's done towards uh, the people uh, in your life, your mentor. Uh, your friends and family, and eventually it's done towards a neutral person, someone you have no particular feelings towards, just kind of someone you barely know. And then um, it's done towards what we call a difficult person. Traditionally, it's called the enemy. Uh, but it's someone we have difficulty with. And then it's finally done towards all beings, towards everyone, so that this feeling of goodwill is is a a feeling of love that permeates your whole everywhere. There is no nothing is left out, no one is left out. Um, a traditional practice uses the silent repetition of four phrases, and um, I'd like to do just you know maybe five minutes of metta practice. And just guide you through it. So if you'd like to just sit comfortably. Close your eyes. And I'm going to offer um, the use of four phrases we'll, we'll use. If you have phrases you use, feel free to use them. They don't have to be these exact phrases. I just don't want you to sit here trying to figure out what the best phrases are. I just want you to, um, so use these if you don't have your own phrases. So take a deep breath first and just settle in. We begin with befriending ourselves first. According to the Buddha, you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person can't be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserves your love and affection. Feel or imagine the breath moving through the center of your chest, in the area of your heart. Now mentally, repeat. Silently, slowly, and steadily, the following phrases. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I feel strong. May I feel safe? May I be happy? May I be peaceful? May I feel strong? May I feel safe. Allow yourself to sink into the intention they express. Reconnecting with the intention of wishing ourselves happiness. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I feel strong. May I feel safe. If feelings of warmth, friendliness, or love arise, connect to them, allow them to grow. If they don't arise, that's fine. The intention's enough. Just repeat the phrases. May I be happy? May I be peaceful? May I feel strong? May I feel safe? May I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I feel strong, may I feel safe. I just wanted to give you, um, for those of you who haven't done it, I wanted to get, give you a, a flavor of what the practice of metta is like. Um, when I first started doing that practice, um, I had a lot of resistance to it. It felt a little bit um, syrupy, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and. Uh, so I didn't, you know, I was uh, just the idea of it, uh, you know, of using words for meditation. It was all kind of odd to me, but um, I did give it a chance, you know. And um, it's um, it's something that it's a really very powerful practice, both as a concentration practice, which can very much calm us and um, and make us feel very very peaceful and calm. Um, But it also really can help open up the heart, and really uh, connect us with our intention um, to be kind to ourselves, and uh, to be kind to others, to other people. Do any of you practice this metta regularly, some of you? Were any of you uncomfortable with it? You know, one of the things, you know, when we start looking at intentions, you know, that can cause a lot of struggle is that we often have mixed intentions. You know, we might want to help someone, but we also may want to get credit for it. You know, so so um, it's really it's really funny because um, I always remember at the I was doing this. We were at this very long retreat. And, you know, one of the practitioners, a young man, he was like 27 and, and he was like really uh, just very serious, you know. And he said, you know, he was really struggling with this, you know. And he said, you know, um, you know, I really, you know, I really, really, um, you know, want to get liberated. And I really want to get liberated. And, and I want to free all beings, you know. And, and if I do that, then will everybody love me? <laughs> and, um it always struck me you know it's it's you know he was he it was great it was a really great teaching that he he asked that everybody laughed, but that's how we are you know we we may have these really wonderful, loving feelings, and it's very sincere, very great, you know we just want to help, and then there's that little piece, well, they didn't say thank you you know or um you know they you know whatever you know what um you know those little mixed intentions you know and Um, it's really important not to judge ourselves harshly for those mixed intentions. We need to remember that the purpose of the practice is to alleviate our suffering. So by judging ourselves for not being free enough, all we're doing is uh, increasing our suffering. It's just how we are. It's how we as humans are. And it's really important to hold these things and to honor both. Honor the parts that are open and honor the parts that are still contracted. If we are very much have these mixed emotions, you know, the, the appropriate response, the helpful response is compassion towards ourselves. Because the part of ourselves that has that mixed intention is the part that's suffering. And that's the part that needs compassion. <clears throat> Sometimes um, people have a hard time doing loving kindness practice towards themselves. And um, I know one person who they, they just used their dog. You know, that was the one, pl- one place where they could just love easily. Mm-hmm. And um, so feel free to be creative with with the practice. If we try to act compassionately out of a sense of unworthiness or the belief that others are more important than we are, uh, the true source of our actions is really aversion to ourselves and not compassion for others sometimes people do a lot of service you know and absolutely ignore themselves you know they call it burnout you know compassion burnout but really there it's not coming out of, you know out of uh, you can't help people if you're hurting yourself and you can you know but but it's not a it's a, a skillful practice Sometimes uh, the other place where it gets really mixed easily uh, when we're helping others is peop- uh, sometimes people have a sense of superiority where they sort of feel sorry for those poor people down there we're helping, you know. And um, so it's, it's important to bring these things to light, you know, and, and uh, to see them in ourselves when those things are present. Um, the well-being of a well of a well trained mind can often survive aging and illness. Um, uh, a friend of mine, a longtime practitioner, suffered a brain injury, and uh, immediately after the injury, she didn't recognize anybody, including her husband. Um, but whenever anybody came to the room, she would just light up, and you know, she would you know say. Uh, i don't know who you are, but I love you, <laughs> so that that practice that open heart uh, it it's, it just goes beyond you know or um, and go very deep, very deep in our psyche. Another aspect of dealing with ill will involves forgiveness it's been said um, that forgiveness is giving up a hope of a better past. <laughs> Forgiveness is letting go of the past. It doesn't erase what happened, but it allows us to lessen and perhaps even eliminate our own pain of the past so that no longer dictates how we live our lives today or how we will live our lives tomorrow. Forgiveness is no longer wanting to hurt those who hurt us. An amazing example of uh, commitment to this practice was told by the Dalai Lama. It's a story of uh, one of, uh, a Tibetan monk who had been imprisoned by the, uh, when the Chinese took over Tibet in 1950. He was imprisoned for many years. And he was tortured. And he was, uh, you know, made to renounce his religion. And so he was being interviewed. And when he was asked what he feared the most in all those years that he was tortured, he said what he feared the most was that he would lose his compassion for his torturers. In the Bhagavad Gita it says, if you want to see the heroic, look at those who can love and return for hatred. If you want to see the brave, Look for those who can forgive. So the third of the right intentions is harmlessness. Uh, The difference between goodwill and harmlessness. They sound pretty similar. um, But there's a little bit of a uh, a difference. Goodwill is an emotional state. Um, And harmlessness it's a physical intention to not do harm. For instance, um, you know, ill will would be if you're happy in someone's misfortune, that's ill will. Um, But actually doing something bad to them, that's, you know, being harmful. Um, I remember years ago reading that the CEO of, um, I think it was R.J. Reynolds, the uh, cigarette company, um, one of his houses burnt in a fire. And I think, I think it may have been cigarette related. And I remember just that moment of glee, you know, a little bit of ill will there. And that uh, but, but, uh, harmfulness would have been lighting the match. <laughs> so that's the difference. Um, loving, kind, loving kindness has the quality of wishing for the happiness of people of wishing people to, you know, others to be well. Compassion arises from considering the suffering of people, from wanting them to be free of suffering. So it's, it's, it's all really an open, loving heart, but we, we focus on it a little bit differently at different times. Sometimes it's a lot more useful. For instance, um, you know, I was uh, going through a period where I had a lot of physical pain, And um, most practice was just, it was just really hard to practice. And the only practice I could actually do was doing a compassion practice for myself. And just like we did the metta practice of saying, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, a compassion practice just says, may I be free of suffering. Um, It can be said, may I be free of physical suffering, may I be free of mental suffering. But it doesn't really matter how you say it. It's just, may I be free of suffering, um, and you can develop that towards other beings. You know, may you know, may they be free of suffering. <clears throat> Developing compassion. The poly word is karuna. Um, is if you have feelings of of aggression, violent thoughts. A lot of aversion, um, including towards ourselves. The practice of compassion is really helpful. Um, we can focus on someone who's actually, we start with someone who's actually undergoing suffering. You know, maybe a friend who's ill. Uh, someone who just lost their job, someone who, you know, just got divorced. So um, those are easy, natural ways for the feeling, you know, yeah, I want, I want them to be free of suffering. And as that develops, um, then we start to think about people who have acquired their happiness, their current happiness, who are enjoying their current, sense, their current life uh, due to immoral reasons. You know, people who, you know, we generally think they don't deserve that happiness? Can we, can we feel that we want them to be free of suffering? Because people who've, who've um, you know, gained their well-being in this life through immoral means, inside, there's levels inside where they, where they are suffering. They're, they have deep inner consequences. There is suffering in those people. Can we have compassion even for them? As I said, thought or intention is the forerunner of all action. It directs the body and speech. Right intention leads to right action. All action is preceded by intention. Even habitual action. Every moment is a, cultivation, a culmination of past intentions. For instance, there is the intention right now, the moment, this moment, to strike the bell. It's based on a previous intention to make the point I want to make, which is based on the previous intention, mm-hmm. right, that I was going to teach this class. And it can go on and on and on, okay. So it's my intention to ring the bell. Is that a wise intention? You can't tell by the action. I could be thinking, boy, am I clever, you know. (laughs) Or I could be thinking that um, I really want to teach this, you know, what non-grasping really is. Either one, I've done the same action from the outside, but internally, they have very different consequences inside of me. And so often people live a life that from the outside, it can look like they're doing everything right. but internally, uh, we need to really examine our intentions because that's where we we can create a lot of suffering for ourselves. so um, I think that's, all, that's where I'm going to end. That's enough for tonight. <laughs> um, Next week, I'm going to um, we'll bring into the next section and really uh, look at the actual things that we do, guided by our intentions, guided by our view. So I'd like to just open it up to questions. If you have questions on the topic of the Eightfold Path, any part of it uh, about your practice, uh, about the practice of metta.
2: I have a question regarding the striving, uh, the renunciation, uh, involved in your topic of renunciation. Um, often uh, we have to, in order to achieve a good end, um, people often have to strive and struggle for a very, very long time uh to achieve a worthwhile goal which takes perhaps years and years and involves a great deal of suffering along the path. Uh I, I think all all progress, so significant progress, involves striving and a huge desire for accomplishment. But if we just accepted everything as is, then all of that Good stuff would fall away and uh, our suffering is just part of the achievement process. So it turns out to be a good thing in the end, does not it not?
1: (laughs) It's a good question. Um, There's um, there's a difference between pain and suffering. Um, For instance, if you let's say you're, um, you know, you're an athlete. You know, and you want to, you know, um, you're training as a runner and you're going to be in the Olympics. You know, you have to work your butt off to get that good, right? you got to, you know, run for hours and hours and stretch and weight lift and all this stuff. And, you know, you don't feel like it often. And a lot of it's painful. You're really pushing your body. There's pain. But pain comes and goes. Pain is not suffering. Um... I like the formula that um, Shenzhen Yang uses. He says uh, suffering equals pain times resistance. So, uh, for instance, if, if uh, you have to spend all these hours, you decide on this worthy goal and it's this physically really strenuous thing we have to do. Um, if we just... Um, Allow ourselves to experience the difficult, without telling stories to ourselves like it shouldn't be this hard, and I don't, you know, I don't like this, and and pushing it away, and and all these things that we can create around it. But if we just allow ourselves to, yes, this is difficult, yes, this is painful. It has a very different quality than the suffering that says, I don't want to feel this pain, I don't want to experience this. We can open to whatever experience comes to us. And the other thing I want to say about desire, like long-term desire, is that uh, there's a difference between um, craving. the 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 word for um, that in the eightfold path we use is called tanha, is like the desire that has the compulsive um, attitude to it. It's like a thirst. I've got to have it. And that kind of craving is painful. And sankhapa is the word that's used for um, uh, right intention. And that intention, it, it has the quality of aspiration. And it has a very different feel between, i got to have that, and, oh, I aspire to do that. So... For for those of you who um, are not that familiar with the meta practice, one of the things that I like to do is um, just do about five minutes of it before I when I first sit down to meditate, um, because it just starts me with the right attitude. You know, it's, uh, often if you know sit down from a busy day, the mind's you know kind of going through a lot of different stuff, and it's just oh yeah, you know I, I want to be well, I want to be happy. I want to be peaceful. It's a really nice way to start a sitting. It's very conducive towards getting calm and quiet.
0: I've been coming here since August. I guess that makes me a very young meditator. Um, I still find it (laughs) a struggle. I do sit almost every day, try to sit for 30 minutes. But my mind is just really bored with the breath. And um, I'm getting, now where I don't even, I put it off till it's like the last thing of the day because I'm starting to dread it. But I know that it works. The Gil says it works even when, how does he say it works even when it doesn't work or something? Yeah. <laughs> and I know it's, it works. But I, can you help me? Um,
1: you know, one, one of the things that uh, people often think they're bored, but what it actually is, it's a form of aversion. You know, you actually don't like what's going on. So it's actually not boredom, it's actually dislike. And what happens is that um, uh, we need to turn our attention to that to, to that state. Really explore well, what is boredom or whatever this state you don't like? What does that actually feel like? What does it feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the heart and the emotions? Are you pushing something away? What does it feel like in the mind? Are, are you spinning stories about how you're supposed to be feeling? You know, uh, that you shouldn't feel this way? It's a resistance. So a lot of it is like just by bringing more interest into the situation, we all get bored. Experienced meditators all get bored. You know, at, uh, at some point, you know, especially we do long retreats. It, and it's a, it's something that's just not a problem anymore. Because, you know, I'm in the habit of when boredom arises, that resistance, uh, what happens, the mind is used to a lot of stimulation. And so when the mind gets quiet, You know, it's a little bit unpleasant. You know, the mind wants to to be doing something and it finds that quietness a little bit unpleasant. Uh, If we actually start getting interested in that unpleasantness, uh, we go through it. We go through it and then we're engaged again and we're much more uh, deeply involved in our meditation instead of having that push-pull struggle.
0: Maybe boredom was not the right word. Um, I guess it's more of an inability to concentrate on the breath because of all the thoughts. Or is it the same thing?
1: Well, again, if inability to concentrate, focus on not how you should be, but what's actually going on. So, okay, so your mind is thinking a lot. Okay, what's the experience of a restless mind? Have have you studied the hindrances? Have you um,
0: not really studied? But... Okay.
1: Well, well, one of the hindrances is restlessness. Okay, where where the mind just keeps, you know, doing this and that, and the body, and you know, just you know, if if it's really bad, you feel like climbing the walls. If it's not really bad, you're just kind of agitated. And so, what is that experience like? Get curious about it. It's not wrong. It's just what's happening. And uh, pay more attention to it. It's said buzzing in the head. Is it uh, said it said over here, and then over here, and over here. You know what's actually going on, and really pay attention to whether you dislike it. You know how do you feel about what's going on? This restlessness. It's a, you know it sounds like you might have an idea that you're not supposed to feel restless. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's aversion. You're pushing it away. So, Thank you. You're welcome. So it's 9 o'clock, I think. So if anybody has any questions, I'll be here for a little while. So uh, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.